Hello and welcome to the Irish American History Podcast. My name is Alice Whipple. Many podcasts cover the massive topic of Irish history, but I noticed a lack of podcasts devoted to Irish American history. After taking part in an archaeological excavation in Ireland, I fell in love with the country and its history. I found a deep desire to help Irish Americans reconnect with their own history. In this first episode, we will look at the earliest known immigration movements to what is now the United States. These movements did not happen in a vacuum, but resulted from social and economic pressures. And so, to understand why these groups would choose to make the difficult journey into an unknown land, we must look to Ireland itself. Before we begin, I would just like to say that this will just be a quick overview of the events and pressures that led people to leave Ireland for colonial America. We will begin with the Battle of the Boyne and move up over several episodes to the American Revolution. I'm choosing to do it this way because I want to give myself the room to explore other portions of Irish American history in more detail. So it's better if we just get the big chunks of the story out of the way so we can look at things more closely in their own separate episodes in the future. And with all that said, let's begin. The arrival of dawn on July 1st, 1690, brought the sounds of battle with it. Two miles west of Drogheda, the staging point for one of the most important battles of Irish history, the Battle of the Boyne, took place. It was a fight that would determine not only who sat on the throne of England, but also whether Protestants or Catholics would dominate the governing of Ireland. Catholic James II fought with the Protestant William of Orange along the Boyne River that day. James had only been King of England, Scotland, and Ireland for three years when significant players among the Protestant minority urged William of Orange to invade and take the throne. Their great fear was that the Catholics would create a dynasty, and the Protestants would lose what little power they had. Of course, this was an unacceptable outcome for the leading Protestants in the kingdom, so they decided to get the Catholics under control before they found themselves out of power. James' 25,000 troops held a position on the southern bank of the river, ready to meet William's 35,000, who would cross from the northern bank. William's troops crossed the river under heavy musket fire from James's Irish forces, despite the challenge of wading through chest-deep water. Once there, William's forces opened fire, and it didn't take long for James to realize he was outgunned. The Irish troops were well beaten and became scattered and disorganized. They retreated into the hills while James traveled south to Kinsale, boarding a boat to France. A year later, after the war continued to decimate Ireland, James and William declared a truce in 1691, putting Protestant religion and its leaders in power. It was a devastating blow to the Catholic majority, who would face intense oppression and discrimination under Protestant rule for the next 100 years. Ultimately, it paved the way for 250,000 Irish men, women, and children to immigrate to the colonies before the American Revolutionary War. With Protestant rule now firmly in place, its new leaders sought to hinder Catholics to ensure that they never returned to power. The English government began moving Protestants from Scotland and England to do this. 
Once there, these groups of loyal subjects would reside on confiscated Catholic lands and form what is known as plantations. During the early 17th century, a hundred thousand Scots lived in Ulster. These Scots lived mostly towards the eastern side of the province and practiced their own version of Protestantism, Scottish Presbyterianism. By the arrival of the 18th century, roughly 600,000 people lived in Ulster. Half of these residents were Catholic, a third were Presbyterian, while the rest belonged to the Anglican Church of Ireland or another Protestant denomination. Despite their smaller numbers, the Church of Ireland held the most power over the people. The Church was made up of the elite ruling class and landowners. These elites would maintain a stranglehold over the land, a fact demonstrated by the Church of Ireland, the established and officially recognized church, requiring all living in the province to pay taxes to the church, regardless of their denomination. This must have been endlessly frustrating, not only for the Catholics, but also the Presbyterians. Imagine part of your hard-won earnings going to support an organization that you don't even belong to. Also, your say in your own governing would be severely limited. The government devised a plan to prevent the growth of Catholic and Presbyterian power through the institution of what would be known as the Penal Laws. These laws were some of the most restrictive legislation in Ireland's history. Edmund Burke, an Anglo-Irish statesman, would later write, All the penal laws of that unparalleled code of oppression were manifestly the effects of national hatred and scorn towards a conquered people whom the victors delighted to trample upon and were not all afraid to provoke. They were not the effect of their fears, but of their security. Whilst that temper prevailed, and it prevailed in all its force to a time within our memory, every measure was pleasing and popular, just in proportion as it tended to harass and ruin a set of people who were looked upon as enemies to God and man, indeed as a race of savages who were a disgrace to human nature itself. The Sacramental Test Act of 1704, perhaps the most devastating portion of the penal laws, required government officials to receive communion in the Church of Ireland. This act prevented all non-Anglican members, particularly Catholics and Presbyterians, from holding civil and military offices since they could not receive communion in a church different from their own denomination. Furthermore, the government closed all Presbyterian churches and schools and barred Presbyterian clergy from officiating weddings or funerals. Governmental measures like this incentivized thousands of Presbyterian Irish to leave for the American colonies. The discrimination experienced by the Catholics was even more brutal. Priests and bishops were banned from Ireland, making it difficult for Catholics to practice. Catholic schools were outlawed in Ireland, and Irish Catholics were forbidden to attend any Catholic school in Europe. Not surprisingly, there could be no marriage between Protestants and Catholics. Both parties would have to be of the same religion to make the union legal. Further laws prohibited Catholics from holding any profession, except for medicine, and made it illegal for Catholics to vote. However, the most damaging of the penal laws was the law that prevented Catholics from purchasing land. What land they did own needed to be split among the owner's sons upon their death. 
This caused farms to shrink dramatically, and by the end of the 1700s, Catholics owned just 5% of the land in Ireland, a far cry from the 14% at the beginning of the century. With their primary source of wealth stripped from them, Catholics began hemorrhaging what little power they had left in Ireland. More extreme measures, such as branding the cheeks of Catholic clergy and castrating outlawed priests, were proposed, though thankfully none were put into law. Despite these restrictions, the Catholic Church survived in Ireland, but the damage had already been done. Catholics in Ireland had been branded as inferior even as they remained the majority. The actions taken by the government during this time laid the groundwork for massive emigration during the mid-19th century. There was no doubt about who was in power, and the Protestant ruling class remained determined to wield that power against Catholics. Yet, even with these efforts, the penal laws proved too difficult to enforce, and the majority were repealed in the late 1700s. The penal laws were not the primary reason to emigrate for many. Economic instability played a major role in emigration. Crop failure was a constant threat to farmers on the island. The first wave of massive immigration to the colonies in North America began in 1718, when the crop failed, causing widespread famine. Repeated crop failures caused people to continue to leave until 1728. These failures were due primarily to the hard winters facing the area. Many times, there was not only crop failure, but a massive loss of cattle. The temperatures were frigid, remarked as the worst in a millennium. These factors left farmers unable to grind corn for their cattle, who would ultimately perish due to malnourishment. Additionally, the price of bread doubled, but the worst was yet to come. The famine from 1740 to 1741 saw around 480,000 deaths, about one in five people across Ireland. When compared to the Great Famine in 1840, the portion of the population that perished in 1740 was much higher. This period is still remembered as the year of the slaughter, a fitting name for such a grim event. What made this situation worse was that many landlords who rented out lands to the Irish were absent, meaning they lived somewhere other than Ireland. When leases ran out, the landlords would increase the rents. These increases would, under normal circumstances, not cause devastation to the Irish farmers. But, with no crops to sell, not only did the population starve, they could no longer pay the rent. This untenable situation, not surprisingly, caused many people to pack up and head for the new land in North America. But it wasn't just the crop failures, resulting famines, and rent increases that prompted immigration during this time. The linen industry had become the Irish economy's primary revenue source. Farmers, usually made up of families, would not only grow the flax needed to make the linen, but also spin and bleach the cloth before shipping it to England. Many of these families built their entire life around making linen. So when the industry began to collapse due to European competition, the farmers could no longer make the rent. Thousands of men, women, and children would emigrate whenever one of these slumps occurred. From 1730 to 1754, 50,000 Irish left for America and settled mostly in Pennsylvania. 
The situation reached its apex in the 1770s when the entire linen trade in Ireland collapsed. These famines, crop failures, and economic depressions were, unfortunately, the reality of life in Ireland at that time. These struggles existed in the 17th century, not just in Ulster, but across the island. However, despite the presence of these struggles, the 17th century did not experience mass emigration to America. The real exodus started in the early 18th century, when the American colonies in Ireland became linked through trade, which consisted of primarily flaxseed. During this time, religious connections between the colonies and Ulster strengthened due to the travels of Presbyterian missionaries. These missionaries would often bring back stories describing America as a land without tyranny. There, in this garden of the world, one could worship freely and face no fear of persecution. What may have been the most irresistible pull of all for weary Irish was the offer of land, tools, and seed for immigrants by South Carolina and Georgia. Letters home from those who had already settled in these areas described the colonies as a land where one could be free of tithes and tyranny. There was a myriad of reasons why the Irish would wish to leave Ireland in the 18th century. Life on the island was brutal. Oppression ran rampant, crops were often one streak of bad weather away from failure, and the economy never seemed to stabilize. Considering all of these factors, it is little wonder people began to abandon Ireland for a better life in the colonies. What is surprising is that the majority of people who emigrated were of Protestant denomination, not Catholic. There are a few reasons for this. To begin with, the great majority of Catholics during this time maintained their Gaelic traditions. Most were Irish speakers, and the insular nature of the Gaelic culture did not exactly foster an interest in emigrating. Gaelic culture in Ireland harbored biases against individuals taking initiative. Furthermore, emigration among the culture was considered a form of involuntary exile. Being so family and community-oriented, caused the majority of Catholics to stay where they were supported despite the persecution. Catholic Irish also felt more in touch with the rest of Catholic Europe. With the American colonies filling up with Protestants, there would be less communal support for Catholics. There were more Catholic countries in Europe, which would have been more appealing to the Catholic Irish. On the same note, regarding Protestants in America, the Catholics would not only be carrying the stigma of being Irish— but also discrimination due to worshipping in an incorrect manner. Puritan New England was not a welcoming environment to them. But, even if Catholic Irish decided to emigrate despite all of this, there were laws being passed that aimed to prevent them arriving at all. South Carolina banned the immigration of people who were native Irish, persons of scandalous nature, or Roman Catholics. To discourage the immigration of Irish servants— Pennsylvania, Maryland, and Georgia imposed a tax on these servants. Maryland, in particular, despite the majority of Catholic Irish settling there, had little love for these immigrants. Penal laws, not unlike those in Ireland, continued through most of the 18th century. During the French and Indian War in the 1750s, Maryland established a land tax to help fund the war and made certain that lands owned by Catholics would be taxed at double the rate. Considering all that the Catholic Irish had to overcome in order to emigrate, it is little wonder so many of them chose to stay in Ireland. There really was no place completely safe for them. 
but the ones that did emigrate left their mark on the new world along with the protestants in our next episode we will be looking at the settlement patterns of the irish in america we're going to examine the areas in which these settlers concentrated such as pennsylvania new york and the southern colonies additionally we will discuss the establishment of irish communities the types of jobs they pursued, and their contributions to the local economy. I thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed the episode, and I'll see you soon.